0: So I'm speaking with composer and musician Terence Blanchard, whose career as a renowned composer and trumpeter has given us so much resonating music and memorable scores. His work, of course, with director Spike Lee, is one of the most recognized director-composer collaborations in film. And uh, Terence, thank you so much for speaking today. Such an honor to have you here.
1: Oh man, it's a pleasure. It's mine. Thank you.
0: So to start, I'd love to know, I guess, when in your life did you find music? um, And how did that shape you, and at what point in your life did you decide, Okay, this is a this is my career. This is my life from now on.
1: I can't even remember when I started uh listening to music because it was always in the house, mm-hmm. you know. I grew up in a family where my father was an avid uh opera lover and uh, an amateur baritone. Um, my mom's sister uh taught piano and voice. Her husband sang with my father. <laughs> my, my grandfather played guitar. You know, you see what I'm you see where I'm going with this. Yeah, it's, yeah. Music was just in the house from the time. Then the earliest memories that I've had uh, were with music. Even when uh, when I before I started playing piano, uh, I started at the age of five. But uh, my we lived in a double house in uh, this neighborhood in New Orleans, and the neighbor's house that uh, w- w- was which was right behind ours, which was connected because it was a double, their living room wall was on my bedroom wall, and that was my first piano teacher, and they used to sit up and play music and sing all night long. Wow! So it seemed like everybody that I knew, you know, or or was associated with, um, had music in their homes or music in their life in some form or fashion.
0: And at what point in your life did you go okay, I'm going to make a career out of this. Was it was there kind of like an aha moment or did you just, was just a natural progression? Like, okay, now I'm going to go perform and now I'm going to play with, you know, bands and orchestras or stuff like that.
1: Yeah. It was when my father stopped me from playing competitive uh, football. <laughs> you know, I, I really wanted to be an athlete, man. I was playing little league football and got selected to some all city teams and was pretty good, you know, for a youngster. I was a little kid, but, um, My father, even back then, man, in the 70s, he saw some documentary someplace or some story about uh, concussions and kids. Hmm. And he stopped me from playing back then, just as I got selected to the all-city team, which was going to travel around to some other cities and play some other teams. And I was heartbroken. But I had been playing music throughout my life, so it just became a focus. Uh, It became what I focused on after that. And that was... I was must have been fourteen or fifteen years old.
0: Wow! So you you kind of gravitated towards uh, the tru- was the trumpet like a something that you decided to pick up or was it handed to you? I mean, how did you kind of became that kind of became your instrument?
1: There was a guy, named, a local musician named Alvin Alcorn, who came to my elementary school and gave a demonstration on New Orleans traditional jazz. Uh, and when I heard him play, um, I went home and told my dad that I wanted to play the, tr- <laughs> play the trumpet. And the reason why that's funny is because my dad had just rented a piano for us to have in the house for me to take lessons. And my dad was, you know, he was a he was a very frugal person. You know what I mean? So yeah. me coming home asked telling my mom to play the trumpet, not realizing what I was doing. I was a kid, you know, I didn't understand. Um, but let me just tell you, it hit the fan that day. <laughs> so,
0: you know, I can imagine. Oh my
1: god. Yeah, that was that was that was that was a moment in time.
0: So where along the line did you kind of get introduced into the world of film composition? And I, uh, how did you meet Spike Lee? Is it all happen at similar times? Or did you find film and then meet Spike later? How did that kind of progression of events happen?
1: It all happened at the same time, actually, because, you know, I, I, I had a career, man. I yeah. played with Blakey and I made records and I was doing my thing with my own band. And uh, I remember I was in Chicago and I went to see uh, She's Gotta Habit." Because I, I had written, I had read an article on Spike. I think it was in uh, one of the popular mag, like L magazine, uh, one of the one of those fashion magazines. And uh, I kept saying to myself, "Wow, this is this is." I love the fact that this guy loved his art so much that he, you know, he found a way to fund it. You remember he put it all on credit cards back yeah. then. His first movie, and I said, "I love that determination, and I would love to work with somebody like that." You know, because for me. I've always wanted to, you know, learn by stretching outside of my comfort zone. And uh, next thing I know, Spike called me to play on, uh, I think it was Do the Right Thing. Yeah. And uh, I walked in the session, man, with a Lakers jersey, Lakers hat, and Lakers tennis shoes, man. And he remembered me just from that. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the first thing he said, Lakers fan, huh? I'm like, yeah, buddy, what's up? You know.
0: Uh, That's amazing.
1: Oh Yeah, but then he called me back to do um, what was it? Uh, I think we did I can't remember which one came first School Days of Do the Right Thing, but then I did the next one and then he called me to do More Better Blues and that's when the whole thing really got interesting because he heard me playing the piano and he loved what I was playing and asked if he could use it in the film and uh, we recorded it just as a solo trumpet piece at the time and then when he got the scene back to the editing room he asked me if he could if I could write a string arrangement for it and I did and that's when my career started wow yeah
0: so I mean how has that process evolved over the year I mean you just did Black Clansman with him uh, this year I mean that's almost 30 years I think from start to to here and I mean mm-hmm. has it evolved at all has it stayed the same um I'm sure it's going to be different on every project but do you guys have like a process in place as he hands off at this point like all right I know what you're gonna you know just do what you do <laughs>
1: Spike has always basically been kind of hands-off, surprisingly, you know. um, Spike's thing is, you know, give me strong melodic content. And uh, once, you know, I send that to him, he'll he'll say, okay, man, I want this for this theme, I want this for that theme. And uh, we'll have discussions about, like, uh, sonic tones, you know, I remember for Inside Man, I think we brought in a saxophone and some other instruments that we hadn't used, some different type of elements, uh, uh, for Miracle at St. Anna, we just wanted to have orchestra for that, Right. Um, and then for this one, you know, he, he said he wanted an R&B band to be a part of the score, and then I thought to myself, well, I want to feature the guitar, because uh, I kept thinking of, you know, Jimi Hendrix playing the national anthem, yeah. and to me that kind of symbolized what America really is about, you know, because the screaming sound of that guitar playing that anthem it, it it every time i hear it it, it 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 almost speaks to me like it's saying you know we're all americans right. you know not just the ones who want to claim this country as being their own but all of us good bad and indifferent that's what makes this country great so that's why i use the guitar for, uh, as a feature part of this thing and he was into it you know um and once we kind of you know iron that out the next thing is like you'll we'll talk about orchestra size, you know, and um, how we want to approach it. I think one of the unique ones was when we did um, Bamboozle, that was the film I was thinking of, Bamboozle, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, with that film, we, we thought about using a smaller orchestra for that, but other than that, I mean, that's just kind of how it goes with us. And he'll send me a script to read before he starts to shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I read it, you know, um, I'll start to get some ideas, but when we did Miracle at St. Anna, he started to send me stills from the sheet to see how everything was looking, you know, and I used that as my screensaver and that kind of, you know, got me into the mood for writing a score for that. Um, but other than that, man, once he sent me the script and we iron out the thematic material, he starts to send me reels. and. We just get to we start working, and that surprising thing, you know, I know people, a lot of people don't believe this, but once we do that, he doesn't want to hear anything until we get to the stage. Wow. Yeah, because and and and, and he said it once, you know. I think it's because you know he wants to hear the impact of the score the way an audience would. Ah. Uh-huh. Time, which is smart, but also you know it means he puts a lot of trust in me, you know, and that's one of the things I've always said. Somebody trusts you like that, man. You, you do your best to not betray that trust.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, does that um, make it challenging when you work with other directors? Is it? I mean, you, do you have to? I'm sure you have to adapt to different personalities. And maybe directors are more hands-on or more, you know. Yeah. I wanna, yeah. So, I mean, that must have been a, like, oh, you had this great thing with Spike, and now, you, like, you have someone. Like, All right, show me what you're doing every single day.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, man. I, I, you know, at first when I first got in the business working with Spike, he spoiled me. You know. <laughs> And then I worked with some other people, but I've gotten accustomed to it now. Yeah. I mean, there, there was only one guy that I worked with, man. That was just kind of, I mean, literally whenever he would send me emails, you know, uh, about, uh, the cues that I would send him, you know, the beach ball would come up because it took that long for the emails to go, <laughs> you know, and if, if an email takes that long to load, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of information in that email, but, uh, but that was only one guy. But I mean, most of the people that I've worked with, man, have been great, you know? And, and listen, uh, it doesn't really matter to me if the comments make sense, if the oh, comments absolutely. are logical. You know, I was working with one director, and I kept going down this particular road creatively, and she said, no, that's beautiful and everything, but you got to remember this character is this and this is not And I'm like, wow, okay, okay. You can't argue with that when people have a logic and they have a specific direction that they're trying to follow, yeah. you know, and yeah. I, I, I embrace that type of criticism because it just makes for a stronger uh, um, final project.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is a collaborative process. and it's. I mean, I always it is a teamwork, the, yeah. a team effort. So uh-huh. um, the back and forth, I think, is one of the most interesting aspects of the job.
1: <laughs> it is because, I mean, sometimes the thing that I'm always fearful of and I tell my students is sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees, yeah. you know, because you're so close to it. You have to learn how to take a step back and kind of look at it from a broader view
0: absolutely so i mean you're talking about kind of how spike would send you images to to look at and you read the script beforehand but is that uh, looking at your overall process i'm curious kind of where does that first note come from do you is the script kind of where you go to first um but if you're maybe not working on with a film with spike you're coming in kind of at, at the last second maybe to do a score, but is there something in particular that you gravitate towards in your process that kind of ignites that first idea, maybe like a performance, or do you look at just the cinematography or the, the pacing? Is there anything that really just grabs you?
1: Well, I think with Spike, you know, when I get a script, I'll start from the script, but but, but one of the main things you have to realize about Spike is that Spike has always tried to be that voice for those who may not feel like they, their voice is being heard. Right. And that's a that that's a general thing in a lot of projects that he's worked on. So th- that sentiment is something that I, I really resonate with. Mm-hmm. You know? And when he starts to send me a script and I start to read it, automatically I kind of know where he's coming from because we've had conversations just socially about things. And that can send me in an emotional direction. Um, and then, obviously, once I start to see it, then I have to readapt things. But um, for the most part, you know, I feel like I have a connection with Spike in terms of how he loves to tell his stories.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's, I mean, the fact that you've worked together for so long, I feel like there is a just an unspoken bond there that just works. Um yeah. And and Black Klansman, of course, is absolutely fantastic as your, your newest. Uh, newest collaboration um and we spoke about it just briefly a little bit but um i thought that john david washington's his portrayal of ron style was so good i mean did that influence i mean you're talking about the guitar and Jimi hendrix but did like the time setting did anything else kind of push the music in a different a certain direction
1: well i I think for me you know i remember those times Mm. you know and you got to remember, I live in New Orleans. David Duke lives in New Orleans. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's right outside of New Orleans. So, I remember those, those those periods very clearly. And man, once I saw the leather jackets and the afros and the jeans, it my my entire body started to just change emotionally. I don't want to say it was convul- it wasn't a convulsing thing, but it was a, there was a certain type of resonance you know, or or emotion that I felt connected to once I saw it. And the scene that really set the tone for me for the film was the one with Harry Belafonte at the end. Yes, yeah. Um, Because those are actual pictures. I remember I went to Rutgers University, and I was part of the student union, African American uh, student union. And I remember going to some of those meetings that were just like that scene. And I remember how illuminating it was for me to learn things that I didn't know had existed or had uh, uh, people had experienced, and the shocking nature of it—to uh, uh, learn how people could be so hateful towards another one another. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I drew my emotional uh, drive from, you know, because, um, like I said. Jimi Hendrix playing the National Anthem says we're all Americans. Right. And that's the thing that we have to constantly try to remind people that we all are citizens of this country who have contributed greatly to the development of this country.
0: Absolutely. And I, th- I mean, and the fact that you and Spike do make movies with very powerful social messages, I think that must uh, that's just a whole wealth of inspiration to come from. So, I mean, there's always a point to be made and uh, it's... And I love that there's these movies uh, that Spike is directing, these movies and making these movies, and you know, you're scoring these movies because you know we're we're in a time where it's just so many you know blockbusters and superhero movies, which are all fun and fine, but to have something that kind of you know is what I fell in love with cinema in the first place—you go to kind of be moved and kind of shaken a little bit—and uh, I, I love that what you guys are doing—you know, it's still you. still still happening today. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Well, well, obviously, it's a conscious choice on Spike's part. Of course, and, yeah. Uh, and uh, one of the things that you know, we constantly talk about is that, you know, we don't want to create a score that's so complex that people, you know, won't get it. You know, we actually we actually go the opposite direction on purpose. And then that is to create something melodic that people can walk away from the theater humming. And every time you hear it, the story comes back to you, the emotion, the experience comes back to you. That's what we what, what we uh, strive for in uh, creating the scores for his film.
0: Absolutely, and I mean, I, I the the, the, the melody is still stick in my head from Black Klansman. And um, but it, today, you know, today's cinema and today's film music, especially, you don't see or hear melody as much anymore. I mean, the the big action scores can be bombastic and melodic. But um, uh-huh. do you do you notice that that kind of film oh, music yeah. in general has kind of erased those melodies that really grab and hook you?
1: Yeah, well, a friend of mine who was my mentor in the business, Miles Goodman, we used to talk about it years ago, he said sometimes film scoring has gotten more, it's gone more down the direction of arranging
0: Hmm, and
1: actually motivic development. And I get that, you know, uh, because some directors feel like melodic content takes away from what you see on the screen, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, But other directors don't, you know? I mean, um, Spike is one of those guys that he embraces melody. You know, I I remember, I forgot which film, I don't know if it was Summer or Sam or one of those, we were doing something, and he wanted a strong melodic theme in this one scene that was just laden with important information. And I go, hey, dude, you know, you're not worried about it? And he goes, hey, man, it's been scientifically proven that the brain can concentrate on more than one
0: thing at one time. (laughs) I'm like, all right, okay, let's go for it, you know. That's yeah, but I mean, those are the things. Those are the scenes that I think it pulls you in more, and you remember. It, it, like you said, you you walk away, and it brings the film back into your mind. And that's that's how I fell in love with film music, and what pushed me to go into filmmaking was that you'd be sitting around and you'd remember that melody, you'd hum it, and you'd remember the scene. But also, you could apply it to you know spark new it would spark new ideas for me too. It kind of as a someone who comes at it from a screenwriting aspect, I always listen to scores and music to kind of ignite ideas.
1: Oh, dude, and every time you hit bo do e e yeah it's chinatown dude i mean as yeah. soon, soon <laughs> as you hear that you, you 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 i go right to that period in time i see those cars I I, I I smell that period you know and as a composer i mean that's what you want you know you want people you want that you want to be able to write that theme that as soon as people hear it if they've seen the film all of that experience comes right back
0: yeah you know? absolutely yeah. um and, you know, and I think the th- great thing about film music is that you get to explore so many different genres. I mean, something, uh, something kind of a wartime drama like Miracle at St. Anna or, or um, Red Tails or something a little bit more character, really character focused, like the comedian with Taylor Hackford that you did, which is a great film. I mean, right. is, is there a particular genre that you kind of gravitate towards more? Do you like writing for drama? Do you like... Uh, action a little bit more kind of I mean what, I
1: don't, I don't, it's hard to, it's hard to say Kaya it's, it really is man because um I look at all of them as as challenges mm. you know what I mean? yeah I think I think, right. if the, I, I, I think if there's one genre that scares me the most is comedy yeah you know what I mean? yeah because you really don't want to screw up with good joke you know uh and uh, you got to be careful with that with music in terms of timing you know but I look at all of those things as challenges and and a means for me to grow you know, artistically, right? Right, So, know, right. um, and that's the reason why I love film com- composition, because being a jazz musician, man, I never got a chance to write for orchestra like this, yeah, you know, yeah. um, and it's given me an opportunity to learn uh, 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 and have experiences writing for orchestra, which has allowed me to write operas and write other commission works for orchestra. I'm working on my second opera right now, and if I didn't have a film career, I wouldn't have been able to do that.
0: That's amazing. I mean, I mean, yeah, you're still very active in your solo career in terms of, yeah, concert music and opera, and and with uh, jazz. I mean, talk about that. How is that? It's still such a huge part of your life, and you know, and tickling different creative parts of your brain. I mean, talk about yeah. writing your opera. I mean, that's such a fantastic experience. I mean, how did you approach something like that?
1: <laughs> uh, it was so interesting, man. Because when they asked me to write an opera, man. I was trying to smell the dude's breath to see if he had alcohol in his breath <laughs> so he wasn't drunk out of his mind for, for asking me to write an opera. I'm like, really? Okay. But once I got over that shock, the next thing was to really learn how to write for voices, and I'm still learning that. I mean, because writing for the orchestra is no problem, but mm. writing for voice was something that I'm still getting accustomed to because each voice is so different. The range is so different than writing for... Um, instruments and then you have to deal with diction and clarity in terms of you know how to tell a story musically so all of those things are technical challenges that that, that make it you know interesting an interesting process you know so yeah. after my first one man I, I learned a great deal and now I'm, I'm in the midst of starting not starting I'm actually in the middle of it uh, writing the second one and uh, I'm excited about it but all of the film uh, uh, experiences in the back, my background in film come into play with this because once I get the vocal lines down and get most of the harmonic uh, progressions down then it's about orchestration and that's why I really have fun because that brings me back to the film world the only difference is, is that the scenes are in my mind mm. that's the difference between this and film and the crazy part about it is I can sit in this room here man and and, and create music for these scenes and see it in my mind. But when you actually start to see singers and actors walk across a stage and singing, singing these lines and man, it becomes really magical. I've been telling everybody opera is like the greatest form of a 3d musical production you can ever experience. Absolutely, you know?
0: Yeah. God, I he, give you goosebumps seeing that come to life. Oh, I can't even explain it, bro. <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> I, I, you know, it's, you have to experience it. And then, you know, with my band, you know, I have the E-Collective now. Yeah. And I think a lot of that, my progression towards that is because of film. Because with film, I started to really explore electronic music and electronic sounds, you know, and colors and textures. And that started to creep into my jazz world. And now it's just like fully led into this group that I have now, the E-Collective. And, um... So I owe a lot to film because it, it, it did exactly what I knew it would. I just didn't know how it would, but I knew it would open up my experiences and give me some broader things to, 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 to really experience. Absolutely. You know, yeah.
0: yeah, absolutely. And, it's, and I think you're so unique and you're, because you do have your – you come from these different worlds and of music. And, it, and I was talking to uh, Richard Sherman, and I always remember he told me we're all just like, we're all sponges. We're just absorbing things around us. And I think that, yeah, it crosses into your film music that comes back to your jazz and then into your opera. And I think it makes you stronger, I think, all around in every aspect. It just becomes part of your, of who you are.
1: (laughs) Well, well, Miles Goodman, man, was my mentor in the business and I miss him greatly, you know, but I remember I wanted to have Miles give me lessons, Mm -hmm. you know, film scoring. And uh, he, I remember the first thing he said was, OK, man, OK, we'll come by the house. And then right in the middle of the conversation, he stopped and he said, you know what? He says, no, I'm not going to give you any lessons. And then I got a little upset. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> what is that about, man? He said, and then he said, no, no. He said, because if I give you lessons, you may start to sound like, you know, other people in Hollywood. Uh, he, said, yeah. he said, your weaknesses are your strengths. Trust them, you know, and just constantly work hard and develop. And I was upset at first, man, you know, um, but eventually I kind of got what he was talking about, you know. So for me, the whole thing was to study the purpose of film score, you know, What, what is the score supposed to do? And with my experience technically in writing for jazz ensembles and orchestras, it allowed my voice to come through as opposed to me studying scores and going the other route. You know, because uh, I did study composition from the time that I was 16 years old. You right. know, and when I got my first film, I called my teacher Roger Dickinson, and uh, he said, "Trust your training," which is basically the same thing Miles Goodman was telling me. You know, and uh, so that's a, that. That's but that's that's where fear lies. You know, if you work hard and you prepare yourself, you have to trust it. Uh, and fear can make you go against the normal order of things mm. you know but if you trust your, your your talent and trust your ability and your craft you can come up with something uniquely your own
0: absolutely and i talk with composers a lot about kind of because i'm always i feel like you'd have to have a certain amount of confidence to do what you do but of course you're we know many of them are crippled with self-doubt occasionally and uh-huh. we're all human but i mean how do you do you over do you ever doubt yourself anymore are you at this point in your career where uh-huh. doubt is no longer there no doubt is always there, dude.
1: <laughs> it's, it's always there. It's like a constant companion. Yeah. Oh, uh, but I think that's what makes us better. You know, I mean, because you'll you'll play a progression and you go, oh man, you always use that progression. To do something else, or you use a certain melodic uh, uh, shape and you go, hey man, you know what? You're, you're nimble, so you can't come up with anything else. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that type of doubt pushes you forward you know, um, but at the same time, you know, you do have to have confidence in what it is that you do.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and truth be told, man, confidence in the people that you work with, confidence in the, the musicians that you hire, the engineers, everybody else, because they bring all of that stuff to light, you know? Um, man, when we work in LA, you know, uh, Peter Rotter is the uh, uh, contractor that we use, And, man, he puts together a group of musicians that are always amazing, you know. So if we need a cello solo, if we need uh, a violin uh, uh, or a string quartet in the middle of the thing, there are always these great musicians who take it to the next level. So that's all a part of it, too, you know, uh, that you talked about as much as it should.
0: Absolutely. Um... Kind of kind of looking at the kind of grander scope of the current state of the of film music what are some uh, good things that you're seeing and maybe what are some not so good things that you're seeing that maybe things should change in different areas or do you have any opinions of the current state of the end of the industry
1: well i think the good things that you're seeing is the fact that there are more movies being made but that's also a bad thing too because i think how they're being made can you can take issue with that The other thing, too, is that what I'd wish is that you start to see more African-American involvement in scoring films. Yeah. You know, we're African-American film composers. We're kind of like the black doctors used to be in the 70s. Nobody wanted to go to the black doctor, even though he was qualified. (laughs) And and Marcus Miller, myself, used to have a joke about it, saying we could never be in the same room at one time because if they blow it up, there will go two-thirds of the black <laughs> film composers in LA because it seems to be just Stanley Clark Marcus Miller and myself you know yeah um, and that has to change
0: yeah definitely I mean I, there is definitely a push especially with female composers as well to d- diversify the, exactly. the composing field which has been very white male dominated for forever so <laughs>
1: yeah yeah and the thing about it is you know it's, it's you're starting to see just in television and in film, embrace other cultures in terms of letting them tell their stories because man you know there are a plethora of stories out there that are still haven't been told yeah you know, and i think we have to really be cognizant of that same fact when it comes to time to score these films you know um it's I, it's it's something that we should tackle it's something that we should be aware of for sure
0: absolutely and and, and i do see i mean i'm at least from my point of view i'm seeing better stories being told and more diverse. I mean, stuff that you do with Spike, of course, like Black Klansmen or something like Crazy Rich Asians that just came out and just really kind of embracing inclusion and telling great stories that, you know, represent everybody.
1: Right. And and I think that's the thing, too. I think, you know, all too often, sometimes in this business, it is a business. And I know people try to create product for a certain demographic. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I think we're cutting that demographic short, not thinking that they want... To see other things, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: I had a friend of mine uh, um, who's done a couple, a few film projects, but he used to be um, a director for for um, sixty minutes years ago in the eighties, mm-hmm. and uh, that was back when we only had three networks, and sixty minutes used to kill everybody on Sundays with the ratings, you know. And that proved to this director that the the viewing public wanted to see something intelligent. You know, so I, we have to remember that fact, you know, when when it's time to green, light a lot of projects.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and I just do want to celebrate the work that you do and, and everybody else. And, and and I think what you're doing with Spike is amazing. And of course, all your solo projects. Okay. I've been a huge fan for years. Um but to, to kind of close things up, I would, you know, I know you're an educator and you've, you've had such an illustrious career. What's something that you've learned in your career that you still hold true to yourself today? And what might be good, a good piece of advice to give to a young composer that's just starting their path out?
1: Art Blake used to tell us something all the time, man. I live my life by He said, there's two things. He, the first one, he says, you never speak above your audience. You never speak beneath them musically. You speak, mm. you speak straight to them. The other thing he always used to say is if you have something to offer, the world will be the path to your door. So don't be bitter. Work hard and constantly evolve.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, those are great, great tips. (laughs) Um, Well, Terrence, I want to thank you so much for your time today. It's such a pleasure to chat and uh, to, to pick your brain a little bit.
1: Thank you, brother. Good talking to you.